Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for bringing us all together, Lord. We know that the reason we're here is because you're here. And it's not just that you're here, but we know that you're in our midst. We come together because of you. We come together for your love, Lord. We come together to, to just lay hold of, of your eternal life. Thank you, Father, that you could put on display clearly the, the life you have in yourself, Lord, that we could uh, just have our eyes fixed on that and uh, we could walk around in this world having your faith. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to God. Um, so we're going to keep talking about uh, healing, and, and next week we'll talk about uh, what divine health looks like, because we hear that a lot in a lot of circles. And so we'll talk about what divine health looks like, and then at the end of next week we'll, we'll take communion. Right. And if you've never taken communion in our church here, you're probably going to hear things about communion that you never really considered. And one of the reasons is because communion, like most things, humans make a tradition out of. And once we make a tradition, it becomes a bit ritualized where you're doing it, but you're not even remembering why you're doing it. You just know it's good. You're supposed to do it. Right. And so if you hadn't had communion here before, you you'll probably hear some things about communion that you hadn't thought about before. And if you think, well, I don't want to wait till next week, there are messages you can go and listen to that we've talked about it. But we're going to we want to keep talking about healing and filling out the picture there, because the way that it's been taught, the way that it's been in it, maybe you hadn't heard it this way, and that's fine, but it will still help you because you've heard about other things in this same way. But the way healing and, and miracles and signs and wonders, the gifts of healing, the way all of that has been taught has uh, left people in unbelief, actually. It's filled people with unbelief. Uh, instead of causing them to abide in the faith and the life that was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Some of you are probably thinking, well, what's unbelief? And I, I think people even struggle with the definition of unbelief. And if you go and listen to the Bible study from this morning, you'll get a great definition of what unbelief is. But unbelief isn't the absence of a belief. That's not what unbelief is. Unbelief is for the weakness you see in your body to be exalted in your eyes, as if it's almighty, as if it possesses the ability to steal from you, to kill you, or to destroy you. That's unbelief. And what happens is, is you begin making the weakness or the sickness or the ailment or the injury you see in yourself, you begin making that the bread that you're feeding on, right? And you start, really, you're worshiping sickness, right? And, and kind of what we've done to plant unbelief in people, just to give a little synopsis, is we've exalted sickness and disease and injury and death even. We've exalted it to the place as if it can steal from us. It can kill us. It can destroy us. And so we've come and taught people it can kill you. It can steal from you. It can destroy you. But if you can get a miracle, if you can use your ability to perform a sign and a wonder, then you can have life. But the gospel comes and tells you you've been raised from the dead never to be able to die again. The whole point of the gospel is God giving you a life that can't be stolen from, that can't be destroyed, that can't be killed. And now you walk around having the faith of God. You walk around believing the life you have in yourself is the same life the Father has in Himself. Right? And so instead of exalting the life that's in the Father, 
that can't be stolen from, that can't be killed, that can't be destroyed, instead of exalting the life that's in the Father that even lords it over sin and death in the flesh, instead of exalting that in people's eyes, we've come and exalted the sickness in people's eyes. And we basically said to people the same thing the devil has said to people. Use your ability. Turn those stones into bread. Feed yourself with life. Now, we don't want to listen to what I'm saying from the perspective of the carnal mind. That doesn't mean that we despise signs, wonders, and miracles. That doesn't mean that we're against signs, wonders, and miracles. That doesn't mean we don't think they exist. But listen, man, whatever sign, wonder, and miracle is going to happen, whatever healing can happen, whether it be spirit, soul, and body, I promise you the power behind those things happening are the faith and the life of God. And so we come putting the faith and the life of God on display in front of people, and that's really giving people the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And that's how people who are sick or people who are suffering at the hands of an injury or a weakness or a sickness, that's how they can find themselves healed by partaking of the body of the Lord Jesus who found His own body healed from sin and death when He was raised from the dead and glorified in mortal flesh that can never die again. And that the spirit of that life that manifested in Jesus was poured out on you. Now dwells in you. And so what about this spirit that dwells in you? Can sickness overcome the Holy Spirit? Is sickness now greater than the spirit of the living God? There's a reason why it's called the living God. He can't die. <laughs> but we've taught sickness and disease to people. As if it can steal their destiny. It can kill their life. Do you think the cross stole Jesus' destiny? Could it have stolen his destiny? In fact, one of the things God is doing is making foolish the idea that death could keep God from doing what he was always going to do. Death can't keep God from manifesting life in you. Paul oh, come and said, whether we live or whether we die, Christ will be made manifest. <laughs> you know what that means? Life will be made manifest. And so we've taught signs, wonders, and miracles from the perspective of unbelief. And we've got people considering the strength of sickness instead of considering the strength of the life that's in God. And that's made people actually more sick. And so that's, that's what we're doing. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about this. Jesus says in John 6, he says, and we, we, this is from last week, but he says in John 6, I think it's verse 27, he says, not to be so concerned with perishable things. Don't be so concerned with perishable things, he says. He says, spend your energy seeking eternal life. Spend your energy seeking eternal life. And even that, that thought, Laying hold of eternal life, seeking eternal life. Do you know in our culture, we've basically been taught that from the perspective of say a magic prayer. So you don't go to hell and you go to heaven. We think that's what it means. And so when we hear seek eternal life, if we've already called upon the name of the Lord and we say we've already been saved, then what, what does it look like to seek eternal life? We think eternal life is talking more about a destination. We think it's talking more about the place you're going to live for eternity. But eternal life means that it's a life that's outside of time. Eternal life is always now. And so eternal life is not talking about where you're going to live one day. Eternal life is talking about a kind of life. A specific kind of a life. 
It's talking about the life that the Father has in Himself, that He gave that the Son could have in Himself, that we see manifested in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. And you start to examine that life. And you start to get some ideas about what kind of a life this is. And so Jesus says, listen, don't be so concerned with things that are perishing, because there's a life that isn't perishing. There's a life that's imperishable. Right? It was like Thanksgiving, where, you know, you gather canned goods that don't perish. And you give them to people. Well, it was like Thanksgiving. God's like, I'm going to gather an imperishable life for these guys. And I'm going to put that life on display for them. A life that can't perish. And then I'm going to have them laying hold of that life. As they walk in the world all the time, thinking of that life, and how that life I've given that they could have that life in themselves. Eternal life is in you right now. Now, what kind of a life is that? Jesus says, seek that. Right? It's like walking and talking. I mean, Becky and I, we go for a walk with the dogs in the morning. And, you know, we're walking and talking about life. And do you all do that with your friends or with your spouse? You ever notice how you start talking about the things going on in your life? You start talking about the, the characteristics of your life. Well, man, you start walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, and do you know what you're talking about? The life he has in himself that he's given that you have in yourself. And now you're walking around talking about this life that's in God. That's eternal life, right? It's a life that is whole. It's a life that is perfect. It's a life that can't be stolen from. It's a life that's so much it can't be added to. It's a life that no spot or blemish can come upon it and corrupt it. That's eternal life. Jesus says, seek eternal life. So when Jesus says that, don't be so concerned with perishable things, but seek eternal life. He just performed a miracle, like a magnificent miracle. I mean, you guys know anybody that can take two fishes and five loaves and feed 5,000 people? You guys know anybody that can do that? Have you seen somebody do it yet? Okay. So that's a pretty magnificent thing that he did there. I remember the guy who ordained Becky and I, I was sitting in a conference with him and they were passing around the basket. And this guy is like a fired up guy, but he grabbed my arm as they were passing around the basket. He grabbed my arm and he was like, Jesus told, told me the basket's going to multiply like the fishes and the loaves. <laughs> I love Dave. Such a pretty magnificent thing he did there when he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. Right? But listen. The miracle Jesus performed there is not the bread from heaven. It's not the bread that can feed you with life. Man does not live by miracles, but man lives by the word of life the Father has declared in Jesus. Right? The miracles Jesus performed were meant to fix our eyes on the true bread from heaven. That's what they were meant to do. They were meant to fix our eyes on the one sign that could feed us with life, which was the sign of him being nailed to a tree and then having overcome that death when he came out of the grave never to die again. The miracles Jesus performed were meant to fix our eyes on him and his body and his blood so that we would labor for the Lamb of God because that's the meat that doesn't perish and that our fellowship would be with the Father in the life the Father has in Himself. 
And any healing or sign or wonder or miracle that could ever manifest anywhere, the power behind that thing is the life that's in the Father and the life that He's given we could have in ourselves by giving us Jesus. And so we don't think about the signs and the wonders and the miracles. We think about the life the Father has in Himself and how He thinks so much of us that He has even allowed His own body to be broken so His life could come pouring out of Him onto us. And that's what we're thinking of. We're laying hold of eternal life. With that being said, Jesus doesn't say not to be concerned at all. <laughs> it's a difficult thing laying something straight that's gotten crooked. Because something human beings do is we overcompensate. You know, like I'm a runner and I would get an injury in one part of my leg. Well, you would overcompensate by taking too much weight on the other leg right, to try to save this leg from the injury. Next thing you know, this leg gets broken. We do that with doctrine, right? We, we struggle to get it in the sweet spot where it's supposed to be. We swing from side to side, right? So something gets out of whack, and instead of putting it back in whack, we swing all the way to the other side, right? And we just go from error to error, just swinging back and forth, right, like a pendulum. So it can be difficult to, to let this be put right, right? But Jesus doesn't say not to be concerned at all with the meat that perishes. So the point isn't to throw away gifts of healings or miracles or signs or wonders. The point isn't to, to discard those things as if they don't matter at all. So what we're doing here is we're not despising gifts of healing. We're not saying there's no glory in signs and wonders and miracles. It's just that it's a glory that's meant to fill our minds with the life we see in Jesus. So it's actually a glory that's fading or meant to fade to the background as you see the glory of the life that produced it. Do you see what I'm saying? So you wouldn't go away having your mind filled with the glory of signs, wonders, and miracles, but you'd go away with your mind filled with the glory of the life that's in the Father. You see? That's how it, it's, it's meant to go down. And, and the Apostle Paul, he, he teaches this kind of a thing to a church who was obsessed with signs, wonders, and miracles, and obsessed with all the gifts of the Spirit. And he comes in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the great Apostle Paul. You know, we major on gifts of the Spirit and signs, wonders, and miracles, yet you really only see that talked about in any of the apostolic letters one time, and it's in 1 Corinthians. And you know the one time he talks about it is because people are completely out of whack with it. <laughs> He's trying to, like, explain to them how this thing works. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, the gifts of the Spirit... And, and miracles, he says, that they shall fail and pass away. Now, we've had a bunch of confused people saying that means they don't exist anymore. That's not what he's talking about there. He's trying to explain the supremacy of Christ to signs, wonders, and miracles. And so he's drawing a contrast, right? He's not trying to say, oh, well, they're not here anymore, right? He's not trying to say, well, they went away after the apostles and they're not here anymore. That's not what he's saying when he says that they shall fail and pass away. It's not pass away in the sense that we won't see them anymore or they'll cease to exist. 
I promise you this, as long as we're in this world and as long as we're preaching the gospel, signs, wonders, and miracles will follow those people who are declaring or witnessing of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like we said in the first message, there'll be all manners of healings. There'll be healings in the soul, healings in the heart. You'll find lifelong bondages to the works of the flesh dropping off of people. You'll find people finding injuries and physical ailments being healed. You'll find all those things being healed. The most powerful miracle you'll find when you become a witness of the resurrection is you'll find people being transferred from death to life. Do you see what I'm saying? You'll find people being filled with the living God, being made braided together with the indestructible life God has in himself. That's the most powerful miracle you'll find. Jesus is the miracle. His life in you is the miracle. You overcoming the death in this world is the miracle. You have a life that overcomes death, that overcomes sickness and disease. If your life overcomes death, then how much more any sickness or disease or injury that could ever try to come to your house? I love Job, right? Job, you know, sometimes we make fun of these guys in the Bible. <laughs> we look at those guys and we're like, I promise you, if someone took a magnifying glass up on our lives, you'd find some of those same silly things in us. We we're just should be lucky that the Holy Spirit didn't decide to write a whole 50-chapter book about our life. <laughs> right? But I love what Job says. You know, all those things happen to Job, and at the point that he says it, he's got sores all over his body. But the amazing thing about Job in that place is he wasn't considering the power of these sores to take from him. You know what Job says? Though my flesh should rot away from my bones, <laughs> this one thing I know, my Redeemer is alive. The one I call God has a life inside of him that can even redeem my flesh from death. And I will stand before my God and I will see God manifested in my flesh. And so those sores were trying to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They were puffed up and they were trying to issue a declaration of how strong and how mighty and how powerful they were to destroy Job. And that word that those sores were declaring was so powerful that even his wife looked at him and said, just curse God and die. But Job didn't consider the sores. He considered the life that was in God. And he says, I will see God in flesh. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about uh, the life that's in God, the likeness of his immortality. It's actually going to manifest inside of this body that you see all the sores on. And I'm going to see the totality of the likeness of God's glory and immortality shining out of my body. The way that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ in the resurrection, in the precursor, when he stands on the Mount of Transfiguration, in the light of God's life comes shining out of him. Right? So they're not passing away in the sense that they'll cease to exist. Right? The passing away that Paul's talking about is in the sense that they aren't the main course. And that church was making them the main course right? They're the appetizer. And they're meant to whet your appetite for the main course, right? To where you would see that. I mean, nobody, I mean, when you go to a restaurant, you don't just order an appetizer, do you? Does the appetizer satisfy your hunger? 
No, but the appetizer, you know what it does? It promises you there is something that can satisfy your hunger. And it points to the meal that's coming that will satisfy your hunger. And that's what the, the gifts of healing and the miracles and the signs and the wonders were supposed to do. They're supposed to whet your appetite for the main course, which would be the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Paul goes on to say that the gifts of the Spirit and the miracles and the signs and the wonders are in part. They're a part. But they're not the fullness. He says they're in part. He goes on to describe what it means that they're in part. He says they aren't that which is perfect. They point to that which is perfect. They point to that which never fails. They point to that which has perfection in it. And so Paul says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall pass away. That means fade to the background of your mind. Listen, I've seen signs, wonders, and miracles. I've seen a lot of them. And listen, you're always happy when you see them. But I tell you what God's done in my life, those things are in the background of my mind because I have seen the life that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've seen the glory of that life. And I see that life can never be stolen from. I promise you this, my, my buddy Dave Duell, listen, that guy performed all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. And you know what? He still passed away from this earth. And so none of those signs, wonders, and miracles saved him. Do you know what did save him? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside of him bodily is what saved him. So Paul says they're in part, meaning they're not that which is perfect. Right? And then Paul describes that which is perfect. He says it's the love of God. He says it's the love of God that never fails. Well, when Paul's talking about the love of God never failing, I love how Paul gives us all his letters. Because you realize when you read Paul's other letters, he's basically talking about the same thing. How many of you ever said, well, Greg, you're talking about the same thing. Hallelujah. I am. And then you talk about it a different way. Something about the Apostle Paul is he talks about the same things over and over. But when you begin to see the cord that he's, the crimson cord, that is running through everything he says, you begin to see he describes these same things in different places in a different way. And it, what it works to do is it gives shape to the things he says in the different letters. So in this letter, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, the love of God is that which is perfect. The love of God is that which never fails. Well, he says something very similar in Romans 8, where he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then in Romans 8, he describes the love of God. And do you know how he describes the love of God? He says the love of God is contained in the fact that he condemned death in the body of the Lord Jesus and he brought to earth the reign of his indestructible life. He says the love of God is seen that he's removed the body of death from being able to reign over us and he's established the reign of his indestructible life over us. And the love of God is found in what he's done to minister to us his indestructible life. That's why he goes on to say we're more than conquerors. Shipwreck, peril, sword, disease, famine, Torture. He goes into all those things. He says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. What he's saying is the love of God never fails, even as you encounter all these things. The reason why it never fails is because the love of God is him having removed the reign of death from over your life and establishing the reign of his indestructible life over you. And that will never fail you. That will always lift you up out of the grave. That will always seat you in heavenly places. That will always fill you with wholeness and perfection. 
That's what will never fail you, what God's done to give you his life. Those other things are not the bread from heaven. That's why they, they fade to the background, right? So whether there be prophecies or gifts or healing or miracles, this is where we get it twisted. We think they're pointing to themselves and then we're chasing after them. But whether there be prophecies or gifts of healing or miracles or signs and wonders, they point to the lamb God provided to destroy our fellowship with the body of death. That's what they point to. They point to God providing himself a lamb to establish the reign of his indestructible life over us and in the earth. That's what they're pointing to so that we would find ourselves coming to the table and eating the Lamb of God. You know, when the Lamb in the Passover and the Exodus, when the Lamb was killed, they ate the meat. That's a sign of us eating the body of Christ. Eating the body of Christ means believing what He's done to cause death to pass over you. It means you sit in the place where you have an earthen vessel that might even be able to suffer death, but in the place of having an earthen vessel, you see that death has passed over you. It has passed over you. When you take communion, you're supposed to be remembering that death has already passed over you. <laughs> There's a life dwelling in you that can't die. Death has passed over you. You've overcome the evil one in the power of his death, the sting of his death, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Father's testimony. Right? So they're meant to fill our imagination, these signs, wonders, and miracles or prophecies. They're meant to fill our imagination with the body and blood of Jesus and the life that manifested there. And do you know what that's supposed to do inside of us when they do that? We're supposed to say, nothing can separate me from what God's done to give me life. All of our lives as believers, guys, we're supposed to live it in this world with that echoing inside of us. Nothing can separate me from what God's done to give me his life. You'll be upset with your spouse a lot less. You'll be upset with your friends a lot less. Because I promise you, when you get upset with your spouse, you know why you get upset with your spouse? Because you think they've done something to separate you from what you need to have life. And that's why you become a bit flabbergasted with that kind of a thing. But we've taught the gifts of healing from the perspective that sickness can separate you from what God's done to give you his life. It's anti-Christ the way we've taught it. Because God's come and testified in Jesus that he has come to give us his life. And in him giving us his life, there's nothing in this world that could ever separate us from life. You know what happens then? You become rooted and grounded in the love of God. Right? That's what happens. Whether you, you live, whether you die, whether any sickness or disease tries to come upon you, you become rooted and grounded in the love of God. Means you, your life becomes built on the rock that is God in his life. And that's why you could say, like Paul said, I'm more than a conqueror. Because I see the thing that could conquer me was death. But I see God come and condemn death in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, Jesus himself, he performed a lot of miracles in his earthly ministry. 
Can everybody agree that Jesus performed more miracles than anyone? I mean, what did John say? That I suppose if we wrote down all the things that Jesus did, all of the books in the world couldn't contain them. So Jesus performed all these miracles. Jesus gave more prophecies than anyone. And not only did Jesus give the prophecies, my man was the manifestation of all the prophecies. He healed more people than anyone. He performed more miracles than anyone. And yet, when he was on the cross, all those miracles and signs and wonders he performed, when he was on the cross, is that what he was thinking of? The miracles and the signs and the wonders? No, all those things faded to the background of his mind. There was one sign the Lord Jesus was thinking of. And do you know what the sign was? The Father and the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. He was laying hold of eternal life while he was in the midst of death, the death of the cross, when he was in the midst of needing to be healed from death in the flesh, he was laying hold of eternal life on the cross. Right? You guys following that? You see what I'm saying? Sickness and disease wants to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is not just God exists. That's not what the knowledge of God is. Even the devils believe God exists. The knowledge of God is the knowing of the life he has in himself and the knowing of his love for you and that he's given that you could have his life in yourself. That's the knowledge of God. In God is a life that creates all things, that brought forth order out of the midst of chaos in Genesis, that brought forth light in the midst of all the darkness, in God is a life that brought forth everything that exists, that exists. God in him is a life that is the chief of everything. In him is a life that holds everything together. In him is a life that even overcomes the death of the cross. That's the knowledge of God. Job was filled with the knowledge of God. Even should my flesh rot away from my bones, I will see God in my flesh. That's the knowledge of God, right? So sickness and disease wants to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. It wants to say you won't see God in your flesh. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, that verse right there, that's what we see happen inside of Job when his wife came and saw all the sores on his body and saw that he's been worshiping God this whole time, yet he has all these sores, and she says, curse God. That was an imagination that was trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Well, Job took that imagination and he stood it next to the fact that his Redeemer liveth. And it cast it down. Right? Because the sores were trying to tell him, you will not see God in your flesh. You do not have life. Those sores are overcoming your life. Those sores are going to return you to the dust of the ground. And that imagination was cast down by the knowledge of the Christ and the life that's in God and the one God anointed to bring his life into the earth. <laughs> Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness 
to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see what he's saying there? Within the knowledge of God's life is the ability and the readiness to take vengeance on every thought that would try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God's life. That's what he's saying. Within the knowledge of God's life is a readiness to condemn every word that would speak against eternal life. So, when you see something in your body, how many of you like it when you see something in your body going wrong? Nobody likes it. We want to begin to understand what those things are trying to do to us when we see a weakness in our body or a sickness in our body, because I promise you that sickness is trying to speak against the knowledge of God. It's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And it's doing that to try to war against you, to war against your soul, to war against your spirit, to war against your body. Right? So when you see something in your body, you know what it's real easy to think? Because your body is you, isn't it? Right? I mean, when I see my body, I say, my body. <laughs> so my body is me. So if you see a sickness in your body, or you see an injury or an ailment in your body, it's real easy to think that you're one with the sickness. It's real easy to think that you're intertwined with it. That it's part of your life. And that you're wrapped up in it, and it's wrapped up in you. It's easy to think that your life is joined together and braided together with that sickness. I promise you, if you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, it's not God who has come down and sat next to you and said that you're one with cancer. It's not God who's come down and sat next to you and said you're one with this disease. It's not God who come and sat down next to you and said you're one with this injury or one with this ailment. That's an imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You can very easily begin to think that your life is contained in that sickness being there or not being there. But that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Because our life is not hid in a sickness. Our life is hid in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? You see how subtle it is? A fear can come on you when you see an infirmity in your flesh. That infirmity tries to get puffed up in your presence. It boasts in its strength to steal, kill, and destroy. An infirmity in your body, it can be like a Goliath that stands up in your life, boasting against your life, trying to make you ashamed, trying to fill you with fear, trying to tell you how strong it is and how there's nothing you can do to overcome it. It will speak great swelling words of vanity right? It will boast in its power to steal from you, to keep you from your destiny, to keep you from life. That's what it will say to you. I'm What's it called? Heart physics. I'm explaining what happens in your heart when you see sickness and what it's trying to do to you and what it's trying to say to you, right? It's, it's trying to say to you the same thing that, that Job's wife said to him. And what it's trying to do is it's trying to get you to lust after life through signs, wonders, and miracles. Isn't that what Goliath said? If you are the children of God, 
send out your champion and let him take me out. That's what the sickness is trying to say to a believer. Look how strong and mighty I am. If you really are God's child, then use your ability. Heal yourself from this sickness. Then you can have life. But you already have life, you see? You see why it's great swelling words of vanity? Right? Sickness will try to exalt itself against the knowledge. The knowledge of God we're talking about, right? It will try to exalt itself against the knowledge that you are dead to sin. Didn't Paul say we're dead to sin? Do you know what that means? We're dead to sickness's ability to steal life from us. But sickness will try to tell you that I can steal life from you. Sickness will try to tell you I can destroy you. Sickness will try to tell you I can kill you. Well, that exalts itself against what Paul come and said about what it means that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. That we're dead to sin. To be dead to sin is not talking about bad behavior. To be dead to sin is talking about you're dead to the wage that sin can serve you with, which is death. And so you're dead to sin's ability to steal, kill, and destroy you. But sickness comes and tells you, I can destroy you. And then we've come and taught signs, wonders, and miracles as if it's true. It can destroy you. It tries to exalt itself against the knowledge that you're dead to sin and the destruction it can bring to your life, never to be able to die again. Never to be able to have life stolen from you again. Never to be able to have life stolen from you again. Right? You want to start thinking about what you see in your body and in your life from the perspective of the life God has in himself, instead of from the perspective of the life that sin has fathered in the earth. That's the first step to finding your soul healed. For your soul and your heart to be filled with the word of an indestructible life. Right? Sickness will try to exalt itself against the knowledge that your union to the body of death has been annulled through the body of Christ. Paul said, who shall save me from this dying body? Do you know what sickness is trying to tell you? Your body's dying. And since you and your body are one, that means you're dying also. But Paul coming later said, after he said, who shall save me from this body of death? Who shall save me from this body that's dying? Who shall save me from the kind of life that can be stolen from, that sin and death can steal from? Who shall save me from that? He comes and says, I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved me. You guys tracking with me? So we put the faith in the life of Jesus on display in our midst. You know what that does? It takes every thought captive that sickness tries to bring to us. Right? It's the faith of God in the life God has in himself that will take every thought captive that sickness tries to speak to you. Right? And that's just sickness, any word that anything in the world tries to speak to you. But since we're focusing on healing, that's what we'll hammer on. It'll take it captive. You don't take it captive. It's just you see the life of God. You see the faith of God. And what that does is it takes all those thoughts captive. Right? It casts them down. 
So if you're dealing with an infirmity in your body, because people ask you, well, what do you do? If you're a believer, how do you deal with this, right? What does it look like? How do you pray? If you're dealing with an infirmity in your body, like we already said, what you want to be doing is laying hold of the eternal life that's laid hold of you, if you're dealing with that. That's the first thing you want to do. Listen, if there's a life that overcomes death in the flesh and you have a sickness in your body, you want to lay hold of the life that overcomes death in the flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what you want to be fixated on. So you want to lay hold of that. You want your prayers and the meditation of your heart to be centered around the faith and the life that was revealed in Jesus. Because that's the power that performs every miracle, every sign, every wonder. The power that performs all those things is contained in the faith and the life that was revealed in Jesus Christ. Any healing that could happen in anyone's life, anywhere in the earth, I promise you it's going to come forth from the faith and the life that was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't seek those things, we seek the life and the faith that was manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Have the faith of God. And then he tells you how. Lay hold of eternal life. <laughs> Lay hold of eternal life, he says. But Timothy's already saved. And that points back to what I was saying. Why do you tell a guy who's already, quote unquote, saved to lay hold of eternal life? Based on what we've been taught about eternal life, he would have already laid hold of eternal life. You don't walk around trying to have faith. You walk around beholding the life of God, and you know what that will produce in you? The faith of God. And do you know what it will do inside? It will remove every mountain, cast every mountain into the sea, is what it will do. You won't see mountains. You'll see the plague that comes from Babylon that's tried to come to your house. You'll see it removed into the sea. Because you'll see you have a life that has already overcome death. You've already overcome sickness. You've already overcome death. You've already overcome every injury. You've already overcome the world. You've already overcome Babylon. You're not trying to do it. You have. So what does it look like to lay hold of eternal life? And I'll, I'll give you guys an example of myself. It's been about two years ago now, I think. But about two years ago, I was having, Matt was there. I was having massive heart palpitations to the degree that like, it literally felt like my heart would stop for like two seconds and like no blood is flowing to my brain and like no blood is flowing to the rest of my body. And I literally felt like I was gonna keel over. And I, I called Becky cause I was at a conference and I didn't know if I was gonna die. I literally thought I was gonna die. I mean, when you don't feel the blood like going to your brain all of a sudden, it's like, what, you know? And so I called Becky. I was like, listen, babe, if I fall over and die, I love you. And you say you're sorry. I wasn't sorry for me, but I was sorry for her that she married a guy, you know, that died. But I also knew that the Lord would be with her. Well, that went on for like a year, having massive heart palpitations. I would have them every day. Every Sunday, I'd be up here preaching, literally about to fall over and faint from these heart palpitations. Um... And, you know, I went and got a diagnosis, and they told me my carotid artery was blocked. And they told me I had coronary artery disease. I had all the symptoms, right? I had these calf, my calf muscles were clenching up to the point you couldn't walk. Oh, that's coronary artery disease. And I'm thinking, 
Some don't sound right. I mean, I'm 45 years old, 44 years old, and I, I mean, I run and I swim. How do I have coronary artery disease? Right? But I had all the symptoms of that. And so, you know, I thought, well, man, I'm going to kill over dad. And so after I got the diagnosis, I started talking with God. I'm just trying to give you an idea. I don't want to, don't try to make a principle out of this. I'm trying to give you a personal example of what it looks like to lay hold of eternal life if you're dealing with something in your body. Okay? Beholding the faith of God, the life of God. I started talking with God about the ministration of his life. I started talking with God about how I'm under the reign of his indestructible life. I was, you see how I wasn't talking with God about the sickness? You see what I was considering there? I was considering his life, right? I started talking with God about how he prepared his own body for me to serve me with a life that couldn't perish. I started talking with God about his spirit dwelling in me and how his spirit was the power behind my life not the strength of my mortal body, not my veins, not my arteries, not my heart, not anything in my body. I started talking with him about how his spirit is the power behind my life. My conversation was centered around his life dwelling inside of me. My conversation was centered around the fact that his life makes sin and death bow down. I started talking with God about how heaven and earth had collided inside of me. That my life wasn't but dust. That my life was the self-same substance of the Father and the Son. I'm just walking around talking with God about these kinds of things. Just getting caught up with the Lord. Heaven and earth have collided against me and the, date, the gates of death can't prevail against my life. My mind became filled with the word of life, how there's a life in Jesus that even lords it over sin and death. I started talking with God about how I'm part of the body of Jesus. We're called the body of Christ and we think it's just some nice organization we're a part of. That means our life is contained inside of His body. It means when we think of life, we look at His body. And we start to think that's the kind of life I have in myself. I was laying hold of the eternal life that manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with him about how he destroyed my fellowship with the body that can die. How every spot and blemish that could come upon me had been purged inside of his body. I started talking with him about how I'm not one flesh with the weakness in my body. Because that's what the weakness wants to tell you, that you're intertwined with it. That the power behind your life is the sufficiency you see in yourself. That's not the power behind your life. I was discerning the Lord's body is what I was doing. My prayer with God was about the light in his life. And how that life, that light, and that life was released in Genesis in the midst of the chaos and the darkness and the nothingness. And how it brought forth life out of the midst of darkness and chaos and nothingness. And how it even brought order out of the midst of chaos. We even have a physics theory. It's called chaos theory where we observe this dynamic where order comes forth out of the midst of chaos. I started talking with God about how that life is inside of me. The life that brought forth everything out of nothing was inside of me. 
I started talking about how there's rivers of living water inside of me that fill all the waste places. These are just the things I was talking to God. And listen, I wasn't confessing. I wasn't working some confession principle. I'm just sharing with you what was going on in my heart and what it looks like to lay hold of eternal life. I was caught up into the third heaven with the Lord talking about the life I see in the Lord Jesus and what I see it did inside of his body. And that's what my prayer was centered around. Of the life that is in Jesus that I have in myself and what that life did inside of the body of the Lord Jesus. And what it means that I have that life in myself. That's what I was doing. The letter of James. James comes and says in his letter, you guys know James, the apostle? We've, James says many things of which everyone is confused about. <laughs> but James says, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss, seeking to satisfy your own lust. It's a powerful thing that he says there. Listen, I wasn't trying to get a miracle when I was talking to God and laying hold of eternal life. I wasn't trying to get a miracle to believe that I had life. I wasn't trying to be convinced I have life by getting healed. That's not what I was doing. I was talking with God about his life and how I have his life now. That's what I was doing, right? I was talking with God about what it looks like, his life to manifest inside of mortal flesh. That's what I was doing. I was getting caught up in the abundance of his life, a life that even superabounded over death in the flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I was laying hold of eternal life. I wasn't working a principle, wasn't trying to get a healing so I could believe I have life. I was fellowshipping with the life that I have now because it's that life that rebukes the devourer. It's that life that strengthens. It's that life that is whole, that is perfected from sin and death. And I was talking with God about that life and how I'm one with that life now. Do you know why? Because the sickness was trying to tell me I'm one with the life that's in the world and I'm one with sickness and death. <laughs> Do you see the difference between what it looks like if you have life to if you think you don't have life and the way you interact with signs and wonders and miracles? You know, Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's rabbi. I know we don't think about it this way and so we miss it a lot, but I, I try to do this in this, this, body, this body all of the time where we look at Jesus and what was inside of Jesus. And I know we struggled to think about it this way, but we're going to think about it right now. Do you know Jesus needed to be healed? If Jesus needed to be healed, how many of you think that maybe we ought to see what he did when he needed to be healed? Some of you think, when did Jesus need to be healed? Well, when he was nailed to a tree, stripped naked, and flogged to death, and was dying. He needed to be healed. He needed to be healed from the body that was dying, from the body of death. That's the same thing that the sickness is talking about. And if you go and read Hebrews, I think it's chapter 7, it says Jesus looked to the one who could save him. 
And so we, when, we, when we encounter physical weakness or infirmity or sickness or injury, we're not left on our own trying to figure out what does it look like? How do we connect with God? How do we engage with God? What does our prayer look like? Man, we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is rabbi. And we can see what he did when he needed to be healed, when he needed to be healed from death in the flesh, when he needed to be healed from sin. And I can tell you this, if we can see the faith of Jesus on the cross, if we could see what was inside of Jesus when he was on the cross, we can see what's inside of that. Listen, man, we can have intimacy with the power of the resurrection. Because I promise you, the thing Jesus did when he was on the cross, needing to be healed from death, it gave him intimacy with the power of resurrection life. How do we know? He came out of the grave. So we, you think we might think, what did that dude do? What was my man busy with? And we already kind of talked about this, but I tell you what Jesus was doing. He was laying hold of eternal life. He saw the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. You can go and read Psalm 23. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. It starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's Jesus on the cross. If you keep reading through Psalm 22 and you get into Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is still a prophetic psalm. You know what Psalm 23 says? Jesus is saying, this is Jesus on the cross. And you can see what he's laying hold of. You know what he says? You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. <laughs> Your rod, and you know what a table is, right? I mean, a table is somewhere where you, you have food. You see what Jesus is saying? You, you, pre you prepared a table that was full of life for me to fe feed from. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a dude nailed to a tree, needing to be healed. One of the things you need when you're dealing with the sickness or infirmity, you need comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you know, you know the, the rod and staff of a shepherd? Do you know what they use that for? You know, the, the, the shepherd would have a sheepfold. You know what a sheepfold is? It's like this round stone barrier that only has one entrance and one exit, one door. It's encased all around to protect the lives of the sheep. And the rod and the staff would hang on the door and it would keep the door so that no wolves could get in there to steal the life from the sheep. And so Jesus was actually talking about how his life was being kept from being stolen from by the death of this cross, by the life that the Father had in himself. He was thinking with the Father about the life he shared with the Father from the beginning and the love that the Father has for him, that the Father gave that he could have that same life even inside of a mortal body. Can you imagine eternal life being born in death? I mean, Jesus was born in blood. Eternal life himself was born in blood. So there's Jesus on the cross. He didn't consider the deadness he saw in his body. He wasn't thinking about the power of the cross to steal from him. He wasn't thinking about the power of sin to take from him. He wasn't considering the power of sin to serve him with death. He wasn't filled with unbelief. Do you know what he was considering? The Father. How do you, well, Greg, how do you know he was considering the Father? Well, didn't he say Father? So you know what he was considering? 
He was considering the Father and the life he shared with the Father. That's what was lifted up in his heart. The faith of God was lifted up in his heart, and that gave him intimacy with the power of the resurrection. That removed the mountain. I mean, does everybody agree that a guy being raised from the death of the cross is some kind of powerful miracle? What well, do you know what produced that powerful miracle? Is the dude that was in that death of the cross had the Father and the life of the Father lifted up in his sight, and he laid hold of that. You see? He laid hold of it. When, when we see Jesus healing the sick in the Gospels, he healed the sick by forgiving their sin. Now, because we come from Western Christianity, we got a lot of perversion, we think the forgiveness of sin is. Because we have a tradition or a culture surrounding the word forgiveness. Our idea of forgiveness is somebody has made us mad and now we got it right to not be angry with them anymore. That's not what Jesus was saying when he said your sin has forgiven you. I promise you it wasn't God being angry that was causing those people to be sick. It says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Do you know what that means? What sin has to give you is death. What God has to give you is eternal life. And Jesus is God. And so he healed the sick by walking around forgiving their sin. Now the forgiveness of sin is the removal of death from reigning over your life. That's the forgiveness of sin. It's the removal of the reign of death from over your life. That's what the forgiveness of sin is. And so death is reigning over these people's lives. And because death is reigning over their lives, their bodies are weak and decrepit and sick. And so when Jesus comes and says, your sin is forgiven you, what he's saying is, is in me is a life that removes the reign of death from over your life. I am sending away from you that which has come to destroy your life. That's what he was saying to them. The forgiveness of sin is about God removing the reign of every sickness, every disease, every injury, every tribulation, every form of corruption from over your life. It's him removing it from being able to reign over your life. It's God destroying the ability of sickness to lord it over your life. That's the forgiveness of sin. And so when we think of Jesus, when we lay hold of eternal life, what we want to be thinking of is, and I, I can't say my, because I'm the one talking, but your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. Your fellowship with cancer has been severed inside of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not one flesh with cancer. You are not one flesh with disease. Your sin is forgiven you. Your fellowship with the body that can die has been severed inside of the Lord Jesus Christ. That which has tried to come to you for the purpose of destroying your life has been sent away from you by the body and the blood of Jesus. Your life has come from above. Your life has been born from the Father of lights Himself in heaven. That's where your life has come from. Rise up and walk. Be sorrowful no more. Every spot and blemish that has tried to come upon your life has been purged in the body of the Lord Jesus. Stand up straight. Let your head rise. Look up, for your redemption is already in you. 
It is not far from you. It is inside of you. Death has nothing in you. This sickness has nothing in you. You have no portion with it. You have no fellowship with it. You are not intertwined with it. You have overcome it inside of the body of Jesus. By the power of His life, death has passed over you. You are whole in Jesus. Receive strength. That's the forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus was doing. He was removing the reign of death. He was removing the reign of sin. He was destroying the power of sin to steal. And when the people could hear that, they were healed. But we haven't been taught that. I love what Paul says. How can they believe unless they hear? How can you have the faith of God unless you hear of the life that's in God? And how can you believe or be persuaded by the life that's in God unless there's a preacher? Right, so brothers and sisters, you want your imagination to be captivated by the life that's in God. Let your mind go away from considering the sickness. It says Abraham was strong in faith because he didn't consider the sickness he saw in himself. He didn't consider the deadness he saw in himself. It says if he had considered the deadness he saw in himself, he would have staggered at the promise. It says he would have been filled with unbelief if he would have been busy considering the sickness in himself. But he, what he saw is that this deadness in my body, this deadness in Sarah's womb is not the Almighty. There's a life in God that can even overcome the deadness in my body. And that's why he was strong in faith because his mind was filled with the life that's in God and how the life that's in God is Almighty. And that's what his mind was filled with. And that was the power behind Isaac being born from a guy who had no seed in himself and from a woman that never was even able to bear a child. And what it did was, the fact that Abraham and Sarah even had a child, do you know what it's doing? It's making foolish the power of death. It's coming and declaring that the power of death is nothing in comparison to the life of God. And the reason why it does that is so your mind can be filled with the life of God. And so that you can be laying hold of that as you walk in the earth. Because it's in that that the wholeness is found. That life is whole. That's the power of God unto salvation. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your ministry, for your life, for your love, for your faith. I thank you, Lord, that your life be lifted up in our sight, that we have your faith, and that every mountain be cast into the sea, every mountain be removed, Lord, that we see every mountain flat in the presence of your life, that we just find our imagination filled with your life, and we see all the waste places saturated with fruit. We see all the dry places saturated with life. We see our lives being planted by the rivers of your life. Thank you, Father that your life runs through our bodies, that your life is the power behind these mortal bodies. Thank you, Father, that your life animates our mortal bodies even today with your life. 
Thank you, Father, that your life is not at the mercy of the weakness of these mortal bodies. Thank you, Father, that you are the almighty God, that you have a life that even lords it over sin and death. Thank you, Father, for making us whole. Thank you, Father, for perfecting us with sin and death. Thank you, Father, for giving us the meat that doesn't perish. Thank you, Father, for providing yourself a lamb. Thank you for leading us to the table. Thank you for showing us that the lamb of, that your lamb has a life that doesn't perish. Thank you, Lord, for feeding us with your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. If anybody needs prayer or wants prayer, I will pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We got one more week specifically focusing on the healing. And then, um, oh yeah, one last thing. We, uh, we will not have church the week of November 2nd through the 5th. That's Sunday. I think it's the 5th. November 5th. Because almost all of us will be gone. So we will not have church that Sunday. Say again? That's what I'm saying. We'll be in Branson having church. But if you're in your house, we'll be live streaming. And so you could turn on that Sunday if you want and watch. You could turn on every day if you want and watch. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome.